Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host RJ McCready and for this episode we're going to be taking you guys back to year in 1981 to look at Joe Dante's horror werewolf movie The Howling. So let's go to that island colony retreat, let's play you guys a trailer and I'll see you soon. The Howling. Somewhere in this city, in this human jungle, it begins. What do you see? What's there? What do you see, Karen? What's there? Somewhere in these woods, in this primal, sensuous, secret place, lies an experience too terrifying for words. And now, all anyone can do is watch and wait. Night, I'm gonna show you something. Make you believe. And welcome back guys, so the synopsis of this film is after a bizarre and near deadly encounter with a serial killer, a television newswoman is sent to a remote mountain resort where residents may not be what they seem to be. It's a R-rated movie, it's got a 91 minute runtime, and it's classed as a horror movie. So howling man, I mean where do I start with this film? Let's start by saying that I like this film. I think this is a really good werewolf movie when it comes to the genre. I think uh, The Howling deserves its place um, at the top somewhere. It's only in my top five favourite werewolf movies. I mean you had, um, which I'm going to mention, well it's mentioned now, you had the American Werewolf in London that came out. At the same time you even had uh, the special effects artist Rick Baker who was actually attached to this film. Um, he was a consultant for the um, production of the werewolf special effects in this movie. But then he moved over and he worked full-time with American Werewolf in London. And then that's where um, Rob Botine came in. And Rob Botine is a master of this class. He's a legend. And for someone who was very young in this profession as well, I think uh, Rob Botine was only in his early 20s, he was having an absolute ball. And... It, 
his, his profile was building up dramatically at this time with uh, you know his special effects. He was involved with uh, John Carpenter's The Fog, and he even played uh, Captain Blake in that movie as well. So he even had like the starring role. He does a fantastic job with that. Um, and then he went on to go and do this, and then he went on to go and do John Carpenter's The Thing, and then he's had an amazing career. Um, going ahead from that with uh, Robocop. So when Rob Bottin gets mentioned in the horror world, you know, he is a standout, very well respected and very well deserved special effects artist that deserves all the credit he gets. And um, let's, let's just mention this now. I mean, anybody listening to this who's a fan of the mid 80s horror knows that these are special effects artists they were rock stars basically do you know what i mean they, they, they were the guys that were taking the helm here it must have been great in those times so tur- turned up at the workshop and you know the producers and the directors to come in and say look i just i want you guys to create me a werewolf and i, I get the impression especially watching all the extras um on these films now which are coming out which is great is that they were just told look just just go and do it you know just do what you can and they're experimenting and um, they're almost like wizards in a cave making conjuring potions and seeing what happens you know what I mean and they're having an absolute ball and I think that comes out through through these films as well as the audience us watching these films we are like the guys in a crowd watching a rock band you know do do their thing and this is why I think these films um, stand the test of time today because they, you know you hear a lot of people say we love practical special effects because they're tangible because they're real and let's face it they are real okay they're made out of makeup and prosthetics and all that sort of stuff but um, they have sort of conjured something that's tangible and that's why I think we all will love the practical stuff today so the reason why I've mentioned that is because that is one of the reasons why I do like this film. I do like the special effects and I think that is one of the important parts to this movie. Um, as much as it is one of the important parts to the other werewolf movie that came out this time, which is American Werewolf in London, which is the film that us horror fans absolutely love. Um, but I like them both. I, I respect both of these movies. Um, and let's have a look. Obviously, you know, all the other stuff that is going on in this film as well. When, as as a podcaster, <laughs> you tend to look at these films with a little bit more critical eye. And I'm looking at this film, and thinking, "Wow, there's a lot involved with this movie." And let's not forget, this is actually an independent movie as well. This is a independent 1.5 million dollar movie, which was produced by Avco Embassy, which I'm a big fan of as well. I mean, they were making loads of movies at this time including Escape from New York, The Fog, um, Scanners. And and the thing I find, even though like, all, like Escape from New York and Scanners, all, all different directors, um, which were backed by Avco Embassy, but I find they all have the same sort of aesthetic to them as well. They've all got that sort of 1980s tone to them I've mentioned this before on my show especially with other podcast guests you just you watch this film and you just think yeah I'm watching an 80s movie which is kind of done on a budget but it works um, and then of course you've got Joe Dante who is the director absolute legend you know and he kind of brings his own uh, signature to the, t- to the table when you watch a Joe Dante movie 
you can see it's either got horror, it's got fantasy, and it's also got comedic elements. So he, he's like this film. It's uh, it's a horror movie, but there's a few comedic elements which are, are thrown into it as well. And you know, talking about Joe Dante, he certainly deserves his you know his credit and his establishment in the um, genre of cinema in general, whether that's horror or fantasy, as I just said. I mean, when you see his name come up, you think. I'm going to be in for a good ride here with this movie and look at the films that he's made, you know, Gremlins, Explorers, Inner Space, The Burbs, Piranha, Small Soldiers, Matinee, he was involved in some short stories, uh, Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories, he was involved with one of those, um, he made about five episodes of Eerie Indiana, he was in, in. He created one of the one of my favourite segments from the Twilight Zone movie from the eighties, which was uh, "It's a Good Life." Man, was that was that a creepy segment that still haunts me today? And, and again, uh, Rob Bowteam was involved with the special effects there. He was also um, considered for uh, directing Jurassic Park and the Batman 1989, which was um, taken on by Tim Burton. So it would have been interesting to see how he might have done that. And uh, there's there's more icing and candles to be put on the cake with this movie as well, because then you've then got Dick Miller, who is a legend himself, who is in this movie. He plays a role which I absolutely love and adore, and I think there's a lot of people I know, especially from the Legion podcast, that would just love to go into that occult um, shop that he's got in this movie. You know, it's like if you walked in that shop and you saw all those wonderful, um, you know, whether it's like silver bullets or occult books, um, you know, sort of like the witchcraft, wizardry, whatever. And then to see Dick Miller in there, do you know what I mean? It's just like, oh man, this is great, you know what I mean? Especially in the time we are now, you know, I time stamped this episode saying that it's actually Halloween now, you know, or October, it's the sort of festival month for us horror fans. To actually go into a shop like that, man, do you know what I mean? It's just been great. Um, and mentioning Dick Miller, he's, he's been in pretty, I think he's been in every Joe Dante movie as a, you know, as a cameo. Um, so he is like the sort of go-to guy, and the other the other royalty in this film as well as actors. You've got Kevin McCarthy, who's in this film, and I always remember Kevin McCarthy from the black and white um, invasion of the Body Snatchers movie. He's the he's the one who you know. A uh, little bit of a spoiler here if no one's seen it, but he's the one at the end who goes, hey. They're here already, you know, save yourselves, all this sort of stuff. I think he was the sort of, you know, the 1950s uh, victim trying to save the world or whatever, you know what I mean? But um, he's great in whatever he does when you see him. And like I say, he's become Joe Dante royalty. I think he was also in um, uh, Inner Space as well, apart from this movie. So, um, and let's have, a, let's have a look at the cast as well while we're looking at it. So you've got um, Dee Wallace as well in this movie. And she's kind of like the sort of screen queen, you know, because she was in Cujo, that Stephen King movie with, uh, you know, the pooch that gets turned into a monster. She was in Critters. She was in E.T. Um, so she's had, a, she's had a great catalogue of movies. You've got Patrick McNee. Uh, he was in the, I think it was the 1960s Avengers, 
and he also did the voiceover for Battlestar Galactica, the 1970s Battlestar Galactica. He actually played the main bad guy in that. Uh, Dennis Dugan, uh, he plays Chris in this movie. He's, for me, he's kind of like the hero in this movie, and he does a good job. He's a guy who ultimately sorts all this out in the end with the silver bullets. And he goes on, he went on to come become a film director. He pretty much directed every Adam Sandler um, comedy movie. Uh, either that Happy Gilmore or Grown Ups, just to mention a few. So he went on to go and have a good career. And you also got uh, Christopher Stone, Slim Pickens. Uh, Slim Pickens did the voice to, trying to think of the name of that robot now, in The Black Hole. But he's in that as well. He does the voice over to that, just to mention one of the other films that he's in. Uh, Elizabeth Brooks and Robert Picardo. And again, he's uh, Joe Dante royalty. Um, he plays Eddie in this film, who's the werewolf. He's like the serial killer. And he's also in Inner Space, he plays the cowboy, and he's the uh, garbage guy in the Burbs. Uh, play alongside Dick Miller. You're the garbage man, that's why you're picking up the garbage. <laughs> there you go. So that's some of the cast. Um, some of the trivia to this film as well was that I just mentioned that the film was shot in 28 days. So, you know, that's, I'd say that's quite a quick shoot for this movie with what's involved. Uh, Dee Wallace and Christopher Stone, who play husband and wife in this movie, they're actually engaged in real life. Um, most of the characters in this film are named after werewolf movie directors, uh, such as George Wagner and Roy William Neal, so there's a little bit of an Easter egg there. Uh, there's some books acting as Easter eggs in this film that you see scattered about. One of them's a book by Thomas Wolfe. And there's a book called How, so you just see that in the background. So again, there's some Easter eggs there, which I like to see in movies. Uh, the film won a 1981 Saturn Award for Best Horror Film. And there was uh, a cycle of, as I mentioned at the beginning of this show, um, werewolves were a thing in this time in the 80s. So other films that you had was uh, Wolfen, Team Wolf, and Silver Bullet and obviously American Werewolf in London, which was, you know, the big hitter. I think that took over from all in, in a big way in the horror genre. And the other thing, in, I don't know whether this is a first for this movie. I, I just researched it a little bit. Uh, but it's saying that it's, the werewolves actually stand up in this movie. So usually when they transform in other movies, they, they turn into a werewolf on all fours. So I don't know whether that's the first, but I do like the look of the werewolves in this film where they stood up and they look very muscular. Uh, they look very menacing. They look like they'd be able to run very quickly towards you. The only other time that I've seen this just at the top of my head is in uh, Dog Soldiers, which I think works incredibly well. So they're actually making the, the werewolves look like you know, human transformations like you do with demons and vampires and things like that. In, in the horror world so I think that works really well so um, so yeah guys so what I've just said there you know the the building block to this film when you kind of when you dissect it and you look at it and like say um, you know Joe Dante the cast Dick Miller um, the the fact that this is an independent movie only made at 1.5 million dollars I mean that's not a lot of money 
even in 1981, especially where uh, Escape from New York was done on a kind of budget, they say, at $5 million. So I really don't know how they did it, but they did. And um, what can I say? I guess that's just filmmaking in the 80s, eh? So, so there you go, guys. That's, um, as I said before, that's a building block of this film. That's how they put it all together. And I think it's a really good building block, like I say, in terms of cast and characters and all that sort of stuff. So let's have a look at this movie then. So first of all, um, before I go into it, I think this film goes at a nice pace. You know, it, it sort of gets you from A to B. It doesn't really hang about. Um, I think it's got a really good story. Um, all the characters work. It's got a really nice, um, as I said, like nice aesthetic to it. It, it. it feels a bit sort of dark and gloomy in places. And when you actually get to that colony island, I like the fact that they've used, um, it's very dark and um, there's a use of obviously like fog and stuff like that which they used in the 80s just to sort of create that bit of atmosphere. So the film starts off with our main character played by Dee Wallace and her name is Karen White and she works for a Los Angeles television news anchor and she is currently being stalked by a serial killer. So the police set up for her to actually meet this serial killer at a very, very seedy pawn shop, which I know that Dee Wallace in real life felt very sort of uncomfortable about. I think they actually used a real pawn, pawn shop in LA. So her acting in this is real. It's almost like she's not acting her expressions of all this seediness. It, 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 it kind of works for her role. So anyway... Um, the police set all this up, she meets the um, serial killer, she doesn't actually see him, he's just stood behind her in the dark and he's making her watch a, um, a very nasty video. And the police come in and they shoot him and obviously uh, Karen is uh, very distraught by this experience which then leads on to her going to see like um, a therapist and this is where she's introduced to the uh, character Dr. George Wagner, who is played by Patrick McNee. And straight away, even when I watched this film, I thought there's something about him which I wouldn't necessarily trust, but he's acting like her friend. And he says, look, you know, if you go to this colony, it's on an island, and it'll just give you some time to maybe uh, settle from this experience. So Karen goes to this island with her husband, Bill, and they meet up with some strange characters and straight away they just feel like it's a bit of an odd place but they try to settle into it the best they can and then they meet a like a, a, a nymphomaniac called Marsha Christ and she tries to uh, seduce Bill and he turns her away and she feels a bit upset by this so this kind of branches into a little bit of a side story so then whilst all this is going on you're introduced to uh, two other characters called Chris and Terry and they're friends of Karen and they're pretty cool you know they're pretty cool characters they are the they're almost like the main sort of protagonists in this film I feel they're the guys who go out and start to investigate the um, goings on of Eddie the werewolf straight serial killer so they go to his um, apartment that's where they find sort of uh, some very weird drawings very 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 clever like scene here where it's like this film becomes like a sort of trying to investigate serial killer with a, a werewolf twist. And like I say, there's these um, really good uh, transformation drawings that they find in his apartment. 
So they go away and this is where they start to think about the occult and the possibilities of him being a werewolf because he's now, um, his body has now disappeared from the, the morgue where he was shot by the police. And this is where, where they go to the occult um, bookshop which is run by Dick Miller. And as I said earlier, it's a great scene. And, you know, he's he looks up a book about the possibility of werewolves and all this sort of stuff. And then this is where he says, you know, he comes out with... A, this is like Joe Dante's uh, comedy coming in here. Where he's talking about the... Yeah, they're silver bullets, man, you know. $25 a piece, man, do you know what I mean? Go ahead and buy them, do you know what I mean? You know, try and make me a profit today and all this sort of stuff. So it's like, it's really good stuff from uh, Dick Miller, which obviously those silver bullets come in very handy later on. And then back on the island, you get uh, Bill, uh, obviously Karen's husband, he goes out on a hunting trip and he gets uh, scratched by uh, a werewolf whilst he's coming back to the cabin. So... Karen is tending to his wounds, she's looking after him and then this is where she calls for help with her friend Terry who now comes to the island. And this is where pieces of the puzzles now start to come together with Eddie because Terry says to Karen that you know, whilst investigating this case she found a sketch at his apartment which relates to the island colony so like things are starting to form together. And then that night uh, Bill goes out of the cabin and this is where he meets up with uh, Marsha at a campfire and you get a very raunchy sex scene here and this is like a, a sex scene where you get like a, a body transformation as well and it's uh, it's a cheap special effect which, which kind of works um, it's where they've done the transformation scene with um, some practical special effects and some animation as well so they kind of combined the two together i don't really think i've ever seen this before in a horror movie where you know you've got two people having sex having a sort of body transformation might be wrong if i'm wrong guys just post and comment it on the uh on the page but um yeah it's it, you can sort of see it's a, a cheap special effect but i can sort of forgive that for the budget of this movie so it kind of works in a way um, and then you skip into the next day in the morning and then this is where you've got um, Terry who's now investigating um, the case of Eddie and his connection to the island and she, she goes into a cabin and she actually gets attacked by a werewolf and again you get another uh, body transformation scene here with um, Eddie and I think it's quite a good you know, transformation by you know, Rob Boutine. Um, it's a really good special effect and like I say you get, you get him turned into the werewolf and it's now where you get the um, full uh, display of the werewolf as I said earlier where he is a werewolf that can stand up like a human being and he attacks Terry she manages to escape but she cuts off his hand and again like I say you get another good special effect scene here with the hand being chopped off and so now Terry, she escapes, she goes to the main office of the colony and she puts a phone call into her boyfriend Chris and she alerts him about the true nature of the colony and that there really are werewolves. And while she's in the office she starts looking for files on Eddie and while she's doing all this, uh, Eddie now turns up and you now get what I would call probably the main horrific kill scene in the movie where Eddie is in full transformation of a werewolf and he bites Chris, um, Terry in the jugular 
and she's dying and and Chris her boyfriend can hear all this on the other end of the phone so now he knows that he needs to go to this colony and to go there he's going to need those silver bullets from Dick Miller and this is where he goes into the shop and he buys them for $25 a pop or does he buy them? Actually I think he just goes in picks them up and takes them out. Um, so he now goes to the colony armed up with silver bullets which is pretty cool and like I say I think he plays quite a good um, protagonist in this movie. He does quite a good job. But before Chris can get to the island, um, Karen is now confronted by uh, Eddie uh, once again. And again, he was in um, full transformation of a werewolf. And Karen defends herself by chucking acid into his face and he starts burning away. And then uh, Chris arrives and he is confronted by a disfigured Eddie. So then he uses those silver bullets and he shoots him, which they work. And the other thing here is in this film, it's a bit of a game changer in the uh, werewolf lore, I suppose you could say, to werewolves that we're all familiar with, is the actual full moon. You know, for a werewolf to actually transform, you need that full moon. But in this film, you don't. And this is what kind of changes again. And I don't think I've seen this in another film where they can transform whenever they want. Um... I think that happens in Dog Soldiers as well, uh, which is the Neil Marshall horror movie. So that's a clever little spin on the horror genre. But going back to the film, so um, Chris has arrived now, he's armed with the silver bullets, he's taken on Eddie. And as it turns out, everybody else in the colony as well is werewolves. And you get a really cool scene here where um, Patrick McNee turns up and he's basically explaining that he wanted you know Karen and her husband to be part of this group as well and there's a scene with them now all in a barn and they're all starting to transform you got Slim Pickens who's starting to transform as well and her husband Bill is there and um, you kind of got the final showdown here between Karen and Chris they're trying to escape Chris shoots uh, Patrick McNee with a silver bullet and it's, it's quite funny because Patrick McGee goes he gets shot and I'm pretty sure he goes oh yeah they're good they they work do you know what I mean almost in a sort of comical sort of way and he starts dying so the so again like I say the one thing where I said the full moon doesn't have to work in this film but silver bullets do they do take out the werewolves and so does fire because the um, Chris and Karen burn down the barn with all the other werewolves in it and you see a scene where they're all starting to burn and they're starting to die. Chris gets into a car with Karen and they drive away and then this is where a werewolf jumps onto the roof of the car and um, it scratches Karen. Chris shoots the werewolf and then the werewolf turns back into human form and it turns out to be Bill, uh, Karen's husband. So they drive away, like I say, the barn's burning down all the other werewolves in it and Karen says, we've got to get back to uh, the real world and we need to tell people about this. Which then moves on to the finale of this movie, which is where Karen, she's um, being broadcast and this is where you get the final kind of twist, I suppose you could say, at the end of this movie where Karen then turns into a werewolf 
or she's being broadcast to the wealth. But she doesn't turn into... This is what made me laugh. She doesn't turn into the sort of real sort of gnarly werewolves that we've seen. It's almost like she turns into a sort of cuddly sort of teddy bear looking thing, which is probably my only criticism. I think I would have liked to have seen her turned into, you know, proper full-on werewolf like you did with Eddie. I think that would have worked a little bit better. And then you've got uh, Chris who's waiting there with his gun with the silver bullets and he shoots her and then that's where the film comes to an end. And then you get one final scene um, for the end credits roll. You've got the nymphomaniac character Marsha who turns up into a bar and she asks for a um, burger or a steak or something like that and the guy says, how do you want it done? And she goes bloody or rare or something like that and then that's how the film ends so obviously to follow on to a sequel and yeah talking about sequels to this film it's worth mentioning now they're not that good um i would say that this is probably uh good as a standalone first movie um i haven't even attempted to watch some of the sequels i've heard they're really bad so uh, for me the howling the, the first one stand, stands alone for me. And I, that, again, like I say, I think it's a good film. It's a solid movie. It moves at a very quick pace. It does everything it needs to do. It's got body transformations in there. Um, I like the little bit of um, a change in the dynamics of a werewolf where you don't need the full moon. They can transform whenever they want. Um, so, yeah, on the whole, I, I think this is, a, this is a good film. Like I say, I've just gone through the points there. It, it goes at a very quick pace. And it's got a nice little twist there just to sort of leave it to your imagination. Because I don't think the sequel to this film, Howling 2, I've heard it's a, an awful movie. I haven't, even, I haven't seen it, to be fair. I've only gone by what people have said, but it just doesn't look like a film that's followed on from this as much as it could. So there you go, I'll just leave it at that. But like I say, as a werewolf movie, it's a solid film. So if you haven't seen it, uh, go and check it out. Um, so there you go, guys. That is The Howling, 1981. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, and as I said at the beginning of the show, check out all the other Joe Dante movies if you haven't. They're really good films. Fun, fun movies in the uh, cinematic world so there you go guys um hope you enjoyed the episode as you know as i mentioned on this show it's the the horror month we're in october now it's the halloween month so uh, all the episodes i'm going to be doing are going to have a horror theme to them i've got some really good stuff booked i've got um uh, Prince of Darkness, which is my next episode coming up um, with Dan Bone uh, from Haunted Hill and Ricky Morgan from Rad Movie Rama will be joining me for that show. I've then got uh, Friday the 13th Part 6 with Dan and Gary Hill from uh, Cinema Beef Podcast. And then I've got um, In the Mouth of Madness. I'm looking forward to that one because it's the first time I've had uh, Darren from the Psychosomatic Podcast will be joining me for that episode. And then I've got a couple of little shorts coming up. Uh, the next one, uh, the next like little bite-sized episode I've got will be Critters. Um, another great movie from 1986. I'll be looking forward to that. And as a little bit of mad admin for the show, guys, I am a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. So please go and check out all the other shows there. And uh, if you want to contact me, best place would be on my facebook page which is very active uh, i'd like to say thank you to everybody that contributes to that page we have a lot of fun on there um post anything on there any films you want me to cover any comments anything like that 
And you can find Bite Size Cinema on iTunes, Spotify, I'm on YouTube, and several other players on the internet. If you put in Bite Size Cinema Podcast Legion, that will lead you to a feed to listen to the show. So there you go, guys. Um, and as always, keep it bite size, keep it safe, and I'll see you soon. then make sure you check out the other great shows on the legion podcast network like cinema psyops cinema beef devour the podcast duncan and Bo come correct exploding heads horror movie podcast friday the 13th get slayed the hell Ming power hour hello this is the doom show hero hero ghost show kill the cast underwater kaiju from outer space jerry hates action legion after dark metal health obsessive cinema discourse Pick Six Movies, the podcast by The Cemetery, the podcast on Haunted Hill, the Psycho-Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.